What's up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods coming at you with another episode of our Big Ten and 31 Days team here. We're on to Penn State, and we're joined by Audrey Snyder, who is a Penn State beat reporter and writer for The Athletic. And I just wanted to say I appreciate you coming on here today. No problem, Zach. Happy to be here. For sure. So, you know, I feel like it's only right to start with last season. It was a crazy year, COVID. We didn't even know if the Big Ten was going to play. And it was really a tale of two seasons for the Nittany Lions. I mean, an 0-5 start. Everyone in the country was like, what is happening to Penn State? And then they win four straight to end the year. So we got a four and five season. Did, did this season exceed, fall short of, or meet your expectations from, from the preseason? Oh, I mean, it, it definitely fell short, but I feel like you have to take into account COVID and the fact that everything kept changing. I mean, this was a team that, preseason loses Micah Parsons, so your best player's gone. You know, then you go the other preseason once the season gets reconfigured um, and you lose your running back journey around to a medical condition. Then in our opening game, Noah Kane is lost for the year. So for me, it it undoubtedly, I mean, it was was as bad as you could get 0-5 worst start in program history, but you do have all these other things that played into it. Um, So I think you certainly have to take that into account. But – I mean, to me, the the only one of the few takeaways I should put it that way. One of the few takeaways I think that you you take from last year was the fact that Sean Clifford struggled at quarterback. Um, they made a change this offseason, brought in Mike Yursich, got a new OC. So to me, that's kind of the one thing is I felt like they definitely took a step backwards at quarterback after they'd been to the Cotton Bowl uh, the year before, which honestly feels like it was five years ago at this point. But, yeah, they're in a really interesting position this spring for sure. Yeah, and, you know, I want to go to that decision. August 11th, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren makes a statement. We're postponing the season until spring. It was less than a week after Mm -hmm. all the work was done for a conference-only schedule. We saw some programs. I mean, we had um, Greg Sharp on here from Nebraska, Matt Andrews from Ohio State. They said the relationship was very strained between those schools and the Big Ten. What was Penn State's plan if Kevin Warren doesn't reverse this decision? And what what were your thoughts initially when this announcement came out? You know, I think it's interesting when you look back on it now, and especially like, you know, in this day and age, this March, I think we're doing a lot of looking back at last year and The reality is we didn't know what we know now. I mean, there's so many things the way it played out. um, I understood what the Big Ten wanted to do, but it also, to me, it was so bizarre. It was like you just reworked the schedule, then you cancel it. Like, you know, there were three, essentially three versions of that schedule last year. And then ultimately, again, with the benefit of hindsight, you hemmed yourself in because you didn't have much flexibility. You had no bye weeks. And Penn State was a rarity in that they played nine games in nine weeks. I mean, that was just, you know, Ohio Ohio State obviously didn't have that opportunity, Maryland, so on and so forth. Uh, But yet, for me, I mean, it's difficult to even think back that far because I remember, you know, parents were up in arms, and that's kind of where I did a lot of my reporting was talking to the players' parents and what do you want? What do you want for your kids? And they're saying we want to have a season, and I'm saying, well, okay, if you want to do that, um, what what risks are you willing to accept? Because, you know, myocarditis at that point, I mean, it just, for me, there, there were so many things moving, like so many moving parts then. Um, now, 
I never bought into the notion that, like, for example, say Penn State was going to break away and go rogue. And do, like, it was never going to get to that, right? I mean, you're, you're in the Big Ten for a reason, but right. teams were undoubtedly angry about it. And one of the strange things for Penn State, and it kind of comes full circle here, is when the season ultimately gets delayed um, in whatever August, whatever point it, it was, latest August or mid-August, um, at that point, they sent their players home. And they said, you know what, take some time before the fall semester starts. So they said, had they known that this season would have been happening in October, they would have had the players stay here and train for that extra 10 days, two weeks, whatever it ended up being. Um, So now, like this spring, they're back. And this is a group that had no spring practices last year who's still trying to figure out strength and conditioning wise where they are uh, just because they had missed so much time last year. Right. And I mean, you, I want to get back to the running back situation. You mentioned kind of what happened with Journey Brown being forced to retire due, due to a heart ailment. Mm-hmm. Noah Kane, first drive, first game, goes down with an injury. I mean, the running back room wiped completely clean. How did this impact Penn State? And do you think Noah Kane is ready to come back? And do you think he could be the next great running back for Penn State? I mean, they were fortunate in that it's a loaded room. Um, so, you know, you saw Devin Ford last year, Kevon Lee, Keziah Holmes. But to me, that's this spring, that's one of the big questions is where is Noah Kane at in his recovery? And we'll hear from James Franklin uh, Monday, the first day of Penn State spring practice. And to me, that's important because you look at it, Kane dealt with an injury the previous year as well, limited him a little bit down the stretch. Um, and then he was able to rest up ahead of the co- Cotton Bowl and play really well there. So, I think, I mean, it's difficult now because you got to, for me, I'm going back now to two seasons ago against Iowa. He's a true freshman. He looks really good, really promising, really strong. But now it's kind of okay. He's got to get past this injury bug. And whether that was just bad luck um, and that kind of thing, you know, you're going to have to figure that out. But, yeah, they have some depth there. Um, I, I do think Devin Ford's pretty, you know, pretty interesting guy as well and, you know, if, if we're looking for silver linings out of last year, which I feel like that's kind of where the fan base is, um, you got to look at how much Kevon Lee played last year and some of the things he was able to do in Keziah Holmes. So you got depth there to work with, but absolutely, I mean, whether or not Kane is ready to go. And honestly, how much do you need to see from a guy like that this spring? I don't know because, again – he didn't have spring ball last year either. So it's just, it's super, super weird right now. Yeah. I mean, everything's up in the air in terms of that. I mean, I know a lot of teams were really hurt by no spring and no summer and some teams even have a fall camp really, but I want to get to Sean Clifford. He is one of the most interesting quarterbacks, probably the most criticized quarterback. You hear the storylines. He's the guy holding Penn state back. They need to get, you hear the game manager tag, which I don't love, but he is placed on him. What do you think he brings to this offense, and how do you think he'll fit into this new offensive system that's coming into Penn State? To me, that's one of the other one of the other issues or questions when you look at this team is how does Clifford bounce back? Because they've only got three quarterbacks on scholarship in that room, um, and so his two backups have one combined collegiate pass attempt. So you you know you don't have if if you're looking to manufacture a competition. Um, it would have to be Taquan Roberson would have to be the guy to push him. Uh, so again, this spring, it's going to be interesting on that. And that's where I think 
Having a new offensive coordinator in Mike Yersich maybe levels the playing field a little bit for Roberson, potentially, just because Clifford had all the first team reps, you know, in uh, Kirk Shiraka's offense. But yeah, it's, you know, this new offense, one of the, one of the big things, um, maybe the biggest thing with Yersich, it's the tempo that they want to play at. Um, and I remember when Joe Moorhead got here a few years ago when he was hired, that was, you know, tempo, tempo, tempo. We kept hearing about it. And there were some really funny stories that came out of practices that spring where, you know, the defense was gassed as they were trying to get it to work. But yeah, to me, it's just how do you kind of rebuild Sean Clifford? Uh, and I thought we started to see that toward the end of last year. He was getting more confident. He settled down a little bit, wasn't turning over the ball as much. Uh, but for now, I mean, it's just what, you know, what kind of workouts are you getting with this guy? Obviously, he's aided by the fact that Jahan Dotson's back. So that was a huge boost for them. But yeah, to me, it's such a mystery just because you look at, okay, you know, here's a four-star kid, looked pretty good, you know, in that Cotton Bowl run. And then you take a step back. And, and that's where I don't know, and we probably will never know how much of last year how much do you blame the quarterbacks? How much do you blame the scheme? How much do you blame the lack of an offseason? Like, I think right. at Penn State, you just have to completely write off everything that happened last year. And I think that's, you know, starting with a, a clean slate with Clifford, too. Right, right. And I mean, I think he's, I think he'll be fine. Uh, I, everyone I've kind of talked to as we've been doing this theme has said last year, anomaly, whatever happened, you have to put it to the side. And this year is a real telltale year. But head coach James Franklin, man, one of my favorite coaches in the country. I thought what he did at Vanderbilt, outstanding. What he's done at Penn State, even better. His eighth year, multiple New Year's Six Bowl appearances, has Penn State in the upper tier of the Big Ten every year. How did he achieve such an outstanding rebuild, and what, in your opinion, makes him one of the best coaches in the country? I mean, you look at kind of the – and I think this is where – I know James has said it many times before, too – like you got to remember, and it's difficult because they, you know, kind of went from the jump from 2015 to 2016 was like this crazy astronomical rise. But you look at it and you got to go back to where the program was when he stepped in here, right? Coming off of two years with Bill O'Brien, sanctions, they're trying to work their way back from it. There was still a bull ban when he got here, then the bull ban gets lifted. Um, I mean, it was really about as much of an overhaul job as, as you could take. I mean, it was Bill O'Brien was the guy to kind of hold things together. And then James Franklin gets it. And it's like, all right, where do you go from here? And the thing that to me always makes sense with Penn state is, and we hear this a lot with recruiting, but I, I think this part is legitimately true. So much of this place can sell itself, right? When you look at Beaver stadium, 107,000 people, that helps, but it also, you look at how they've recruited, um, and I know this is where recency bias sometimes can bite them a little bit, especially the fan base, because the fans weren't exactly over the moon with this last uh, class that they signed, but you got to, I think, look at it long term, and now that you have a big enough sample size, I mean, their hit rate during that time has been pretty darn good. I mean, you look at the guys that have ended up in the NFL and not just in the league, but are doing really well in the league. And um, you can go back to a guy like a Chris Godwin and Mike Gazicki. Obviously everyone thinks of Saquon Barkley, you know, like it's, they've churned out a ton of talent. And so for me, it's the recruiting piece, 
but it's also what they've been able to do with strength coach Dwight Galt. I mean, you're seeing, and we've seen it the last few years um, at the combine, especially where Penn State guys are testing really well. For me, that's just another way of how you brand your program and how you can help recruit um, when you've got guys, you know, you're, you're winning at this level, you're getting the kids on campus, but then you're starting to, to see more and more of that success in the NFL. So, I mean, it's, it's a very long-winded answer, but it's a long process. And I think that, you know, they've been committed to the long haul, um, but they're at a really interesting juncture right now as a program. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned recruiting. I love talking recruiting, and you know, I, I might not be one of those people that were that was disappointed or shocked with this class. I mean, it, it ranked twenty second. That's respectable, but I think there's a lot of good players in this class that were that were at positions of need. But to, to our listeners, you cover this team so closely. What were the biggest positional needs, and what players are you looking to make an immediate impact in this past class? You know, there, and the thing is, right? You never. Ideally, you don't want guys who are going to make an immediate impact, right? Because that means right. you have needs to fill. Um, and we saw that two classes ago, uh, which showed up in a good way for Penn State last year with guys like Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert-Smith. Um, but two guys who've been impressive so far from, you know, at least what we've heard from inside the building, uh, been two offensive linemen, Nate Bruce and Landon Tangwall. And Tangwall was, you know, kind of the headliner for that class. Um, but ideally you're not going to see these guys right away. And, and I don't right. think you will, uh, but you know, those are two guys who people should definitely get familiar with because the staff has been very high on both of them. Strength coach Dwight Galt's been very high on both of them. Um, but yeah, if you got guys coming in right away, you probably have some kind of roster deficiency. Um, now, I'm curious. Again, I don't even know if we'll be seeing any spring practice this year. Like, we don't know if there's going to be a spring game or if we'll be able to see anything. Uh, but Christian Bayou, the quarterback, you always got to keep an eye on the quarterback, right? And with yeah. only three scholarship guys in the room, um, that to me makes makes him a little bit more interesting. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I never thought about it like that. I mean, well, I guess – Covering a lot of these teams, everyone has at least one need. It's like we need a we need yeah. a linebacker. We always need O line. But looking way ahead, you said the fan base is a little disappointed. If early indications are anything, this next recruiting class is going to be mm. probably a top ten class. I mean, it's fifth in the country. They have eight recruits in the top three hundred and thirty players in the country committed already. As we approach these summer spring months. Who are some of the other biggest targets for this team? And are there any positions that you look at like, okay, we really could use a wide receiver here. Like you said, quarterbacks probably are a big priority. Mm -hmm. Who are some of the biggest targets for this 2022 class? Yeah. So I think, you know, a big name to know is Nick, Nick Singleton, the running back Penn state didn't sign a running back in this last class. Um, but you look at it, they did bring in a transfer back. So they have plenty of depth there, but uh, Singleton, big time talent, Pennsylvania kid. Um, so again, that's kind of a theme with this, this 2022 class that wasn't the case, um, this previous cycle is when you look at it, you say, okay, a lot went wrong in Pennsylvania this last class. I mean, that was the main criticism, uh, when you look at it. So now it's like, all right, what can you do differently? How is it going to work? And so much of their success, at least at the moment, and obviously there's still a ways to go, um, but they're doing really well in Pennsylvania. Look at a guy like a Drew Shelton, who's now at IMG Academy, but he's a Pennsylvania guy. Um, that's that's a big get. You look at a Caden Saunders in Ohio. That's another area where Penn State's doing really, really well this cycle. Um, quarterback, to me, gets super interesting because they've already got two guys on board. 
So again, two quarterback classes, always fascinating. Uh, one of those being Drew Aller, the most recent verbal commit uh, kid from Ohio, which he had a relationship with Yursich dating back to when Yursich was at Texas. So you can say, okay, that's a Mike Yursich guy, but you already had a verbal commitment from Bo Perbula in York, who was recruited by Kirk Shiraka. So, you know, it, to me, it's going to be really interesting how the two quarterback class ultimately shakes out. Uh, but I think that's been one of the criticisms of Penn State and how they've recruited quarterbacks and maybe they've waited, you know, on some of these guys too long to offer and they want to change that. So yeah, you gotta, as you know, you gotta have a big time quarterback to make this thing work, but we've still got such a long way to go until these guys sign. But I think for at least for the time being, they're in a tremendous spot. And really it's, it's been about Pennsylvania and Ohio. Right. And I mean, I think recruiting now, I forget who uh, who I was talking to that said it. You have to recruit these kids for four years now because now with the transfer portal, you have to recruit kids who, like you said, already are signed on campus. But I want to shift to next season. There's going to be a lot of eyes on Penn State, especially after last season. Can James Franklin turn it around? Who can compete with Ohio State at the top? Who are some players that you think could really shine and have their breakout year next year? You know, I think if you look at the offense, it, for me, Pat Frymuth's gone, but he was hurt last year, right? So kind of goes back to that theme of silver linings. Um, I think Penn State's tight ends are going to be really good. Uh, you look at Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson. These are guys that we saw a lot of down the stretch last year, and to me it was really good, promising signs. So I think the tight ends um, could be a strength for this team. Not a breakout guy because he's already broken out, but it seems right. like at least nationally, Jahan Dotson, um, third team Big Ten. I don't understand how that happened. I don't full disclosure. I don't vote in that, so I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, to me, this is this is a big time talent. This is one of, you know, I, I mentioned this before in one of my stories on the Athletic. Is like, all right, who has the better year next year? Is it Chris Olave? Is it Jahan Dotson? I don't know. I mean, I think there, there's an interesting case to be made there um, for Dotson. So wouldn't say he's a breakout guy, but he, I think it's going to be, you know, a big time playmaker for him. But a guy that maybe um, because the team was so down last year, I mean, Penn State fans would certainly say that it's not a surprise. But Parker Washington uh, last year as a true freshman was really incredible, really remarkable catch radius was kind of one of the things that, that surprised me with him. So I think he's got, you know, big time talent and potential. Um, I feel like, and maybe if I say this, I'm jinxing it because kind of one of the running jokes with Penn State is every time you praise the offensive line and say, you think <laughs> this is the year they're going to be really good. seems like that's not the case. Um, but I really do like their tackles. Um, I think Caden Wallace at right tackle, highly recruited kid, got a lot of playing time last year. Um, and returning Rashid Walker at left tackle, I think those guys are really solid. So I think that helps. Um, defensively, they've got some holes up front to figure out uh, with this defensive line. But I do think Adiza Isaac, one of their defensive ends, could be a breakout guy. I mean, he's somebody who... I guess I was a year ahead of the curve because I said he was going to be the breakout guy last year, and he wasn't. So I'm going to double down and say that this year, Adisa Isaac is, is the breakout guy. Um, but they've got a ton of talented cornerbacks. Um, so, again, I always kind of struggle with what makes a guy a breakout guy because some of right. them, you know, they've played pretty well, but maybe their minutes just haven't been there. 
Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the interesting thing here because they only return one starter on that defensive line, right? So like you've got a lot of lot of opportunities for guys, but they've also added some transfers into that mix as well. Right, yeah, I think Shaka Tony is a guy that we covered the Senior Bowl, and he he is so talented. I think he's going to do great following uh, Gross Betos just a few years ago coming out of Penn State, too. Uh, those edge rushers for Penn State, they always seem to have one that goes on the NFL that I really like. But looking at the schedule, I'll, I see it being manageable, but there are some tough matchups. I mean, a road, ga- road games against Wisconsin to open up the season, that's brutal yeah. to have that to be your first game. I was always a tough trip. Ohio State, of course, and then I'm sure you see my hoodie, the jerseys in the background. I would like to think the Auburn game is pretty interesting, but we'll see uh, with Brian Harson down there. But what do you think the ceiling and or floor could be for this 2021 team? I think you're spot on. I mean, the way the season sets up for them early on, um, you know, and again, we don't know what fan capacities are going to look like if fans are in stadiums, any of that right now. Um, but Hypothetically speaking, if this is your season opener on the road at Camp Randall and they got fans in there, and, oh, by the way, you've got a new offense to run, that's a tall order. I mean, I just – I think, like, this is not the year that you want that that opener. Um, But I do think that's something that I'm sure all offseason they're talking about, they're planning about – I'm sure they're probably blasting and will be blasting the music at spring ball next week just to be getting ready for that one. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a tough schedule. I mean, I think the road early on um, certainly isn't easy, but to me, the these Penn state Iowa games, like the last five, six years have been super for the most part. And they've been tremendously entertaining. Um, so, but I just, for me right now, as we sit here in March, it's like, all right, I got to see this team live. I got to see them do something in person before I can feel super strong about it one way or the other. I mean, I feel like they're, they should be teetering on that like nine win scale, which is kind of where they've been the last few years. But again, what are you going to get at quarterback with Sean Clifford? And um, I, I do think, you know, you look at kind of Mike Yersich's track record as OC and what they've been able to do. There's definitely reason to believe that this offense could be pretty good, but I also don't want to totally dismiss what they put on film last year because there were times where it was it was pretty downright ugly, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I have I have no doubt. I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat with my favorite team. We have no idea what we're doing here. Um, but, <laughs> so, you know. so, what do you see happening then with Auburn? Because uh, like, like I remember when that series was announced, and it was like super exciting because. You know, everybody or seemingly most fans want their team to have, you know, this interesting, you know, non-conference matchup. Penn State had it previously with Alabama. Um, What do you see, you know, shaking out there? Man, I I told my co-host who's off taking a break right now, like it's going to be the battle of the two most scrutinized quarterbacks in the country between Bo (laughs) Nix and Sean Clifford. It's just going to be which one doesn't, doesn't lose the game for their team. I think it's a team that's going to get out of there. We've seen Bo Nix struggle on the road. It kills me. I mean, last year at Georgia, he was like he completed three passes beyond the beyond the line of scrimmage and threw multiple interceptions. He lost to South Carolina on the road. That Auburn team on the road is not the Auburn team you would get in Jordan Hare. So I have a lot mm-hmm. of 
I'm a, I'm a little nervous, to be completely honest with you. And with Brian Harson, we've had eight years of Gus Malzahn. I'm not sure what Harson is going to bring. I really like the hire. It's outside the box. But it's all going to be about, I think, that game is going to be Sean Clifford versus Bo Nix. Who, who can win the game? And I'm excited. I'm actually, if if Penn State allows fans, I don't know if you can pull any strings for me. <laughs> me, and my, me and my friends are planning that trip. We've been saving up for it since that series was announced. So. Really? If if fans are allowed, I will be at, in Happy Valley for that game for sure. So you will you'd be in there. So like, there's a little splotch from where we sit in the press box. It's up in the the end zone in the far like left corner. That little row of like, so I'll see like a little <laughs> row of Auburn people there. Um, I mean, I think that's another thing too. Like, you know, it's just a super weird year here. I mean, I live in State College, and you know, you take fans out of the equation, and like this place has been dead for, you know, for a long yeah. time, like so many college towns. I mean, it's just different. And that, you know, if that's, if fans are allowed in, like I can only imagine how crazy it would be at that point um, because they've, you know, they've waited so long to, to be let in and who knows if, if we can get there as a country by then, hope we can. Uh, I hope so. Things are looking promising. I know things are different up north compared to the south, but everything I've been reading, the SEC is gung-ho. They're going to have full stadiums, and they might add on to have extra fans based on what I've been reading. But, you know, I'm I'm hoping it's still – I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. This means more, right? Yeah, it just means more. And that kind of brings me to my last two questions. So the first one, I've been – I love asking people. We had ACC last month, and it kind of bounces off of that. But we see this narrative in the country. Nebraska isn't what it used to be. Michigan is turning into just something I never thought I'd see that program turn into. And there's this narrative that it's Ohio State, and then there's everyone else. And that second group is like Indiana last year, Penn State, Minnesota had a really good year, Iowa – why do you think the Big Ten, which is a very deep conference in my opinion, doesn't get the same respect that like an SEC does where it's really just Alabama and Georgia and everybody, but no one really looks at it like that? That I think that's an interesting point that you bring up because I don't I don't necessarily I don't think look at it in the same lens. So for what I'm saying is like the way I look at it is definitely Ohio State and everybody else because that's what it's been. Um, but I do think college football as a whole has a parity problem, right? Like it's the same yeah. teams over and over. So I don't think it's more so a, you know, an SEC Big Ten thing as it just is college football as a whole. I mean, you take the top five, six teams and it comes down to recruiting. And how do these other teams try to get into that next level, that upper echelon? And that's, I mean, that's just so much of what Penn State has been up against. And, you know, you look at it and you go you go, you go back to 2016 when they do beat Ohio State. You know, they stun them head-to-head and you get, you know, to the Big Ten title game and you beat Wisconsin and you have Saquon Barkley and you still can't get in the college football playoff. Like, yeah. you know, at that point, it's just – it's got to be so demoralizing if you're sitting on the other side of that as James Franklin. And say, so like, man, like, what do you got to do to, to – you know, to get in there. And I think Penn State, you're kind of at that point where you got to say, all right, you got to take your your big swing with Ohio State maybe every few years. Maybe that's just you'd hope that you catch Ryan Day's program at a little bit of a downslide or for whatever reason, these two teams have matched up particularly well the last few years, mm-hmm. um, you know, even in 2016 when during the regular season, like it should have been a blowout for the Buckeyes. It just Penn State pulled the upset. So um, I just think you got to, take that big swing, ideally, 
that happens when the game is in Beaver Stadium and you've got the home crowd behind you. And that's another thing where I think last year that was, you know, Penn State had one of those opportunities or should have preseason. You know, if you have Micah Parsons, if you have a whiteout, you have all these things behind you. And then, oh, hey, COVID, opt-outs, injuries, here you end up, no fans or just parents at that point in Beaver Stadium against Ohio State. Like, it's just, that's what they're chasing. Um, And I think that is the quote that will stay with James Franklin for a very long time, the great not-yet-elite comment that he made after they lost to Ohio State a few years ago. But to me, that was spot on because that's what you're chasing, you know? Right. And, yeah, I, I agree. Penn State should have at least had a shot. I mean, you win the Big Ten. I mean, you're right there. I don't understand. I mean, it, there's a lot of politics beside it. I mean, Alabama gets in, and they don't even win their division as an Auburn fan who won the division. <laughs> I, I'm on your side there. I wasn't very happy about that. But, you know, last question here. I'll hopefully be there in the fall. I'm Fingers crossed for a whiteout. Probably not likely for Auburn at this point. But what makes the environment of Happy Valley – Beaver Stadium, so unique on game days? There's a there's a lot to it. Um, I think it starts more so like with the downtown. So I've, you know, been to a ton of college campuses in 10 years doing this, but I think the cool thing with Penn State is like pretty much all of your bars are confined to two streets. So they're two streets like right on top of each other. They're both one-way streets. So your campus is right there, and then you've got all your bars Um, So that itself, like Friday sets up really cool because you've got all of these bars within like this confined area. Um, So like definitely starts Friday, like you'll see the RVs rolling into town. Like it's pretty chaotic. Like, you know, it's somebody again who lives here, like, you know, you don't go to the grocery store on Friday because it's just chaos. Right. (laughs) Um, But the tailgate scene is insane. Um, You know, like there's a whole lot. And I think, Maybe people don't understand this, but like this is central Pennsylvania. Like there's there's cows like right over there beyond where you're tailgating. Like it's in my mind, like it's not all that different than Iowa. Like it's not all that different. You know, like Wisconsin, you got Madison, so it's like the city vibes. It's a little bit different. Ohio State, obviously Columbus, much different. Um, But yeah, it's pretty rural. But you'll see all these RVs set up, just going crazy. all day, depending what time the kick is. So that's definitely a spectacle. Um, the stadium itself, I think, you know, if, for somebody like yourself, if you've never been in it, like, it's just massive. I mean, kind of, you can look at so many different points throughout this town, and that's like the one thing that you see because it's just so big, you know? So it looks right. looks pretty crazy, um, even though when you see it close up, it looks like it's kind of pieced together and, like, Aesthetically, it's not like the best looking thing from the outside, um, but it certainly looks and gets pretty, pretty crazy once it's filled up. Yeah, I mean, it, the whiteout is probably the best single environment in college football. I mean, I, I don't know how you do it. Auburn has, tries to do blue outs and orange outs and stuff. It never works quite like that whiteout. I don't know how they do it. It's right up there with when Tennessee does the checkerboard and somehow they get 100,000 people to go with that. There's actually, so I did a story a couple years ago on The Athletic. I'll plug this because it was really interesting about how they got the whiteout and how they made it work. And it actually started, I believe it was back in 2004. Um, it was like, oh, 405, they were struggling. And it's like, all right, how do we make this an atmosphere that people want to be part of? 
And it was like this crazy marketing campaign. Um, but yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. Because it's like to get, you know, 107,000 people wearing something white, like it looks ridiculous. That's always the one, the one game, like I'll go before kickoff, I'll go somewhere in the stadium to like try to get a cool video and photos of it. And um, yeah, it always just looks looks really really crazy so i'm sure if if it's safe to do so people are going to absolutely lose their minds this year yeah i i hope so and if, if auburn happens to be the white out and we're allowed to come i might have to get a, a white auburn shirt just in the spirit of going <laughs> to penn state as those once in a lifetime opportunities so I'll, I'll be rooting for y'all at the beginning once kickoff starts we'll have to flip size i'll wear it like an undershirt You're like turn your shirt inside out or yeah. something yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But I appreciate you coming on. This was a blast. I know you're so busy. So just to take 30 minutes out of your day to come on here is awesome. And where where can our listeners find you? Where can they find The Athletic? I'm sure everyone knows The Athletic by now. I subscribe to The Athletic. So I'm sure it's I'm sure everyone knows about that. But where can they find you? Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, definitely The Athletic. My Twitter handle is at A-U-D Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R and the number four. So Odd Snyder for um, podcast, Penn State specific, which maybe some of your listeners will want to tune in as it gets a little closer to Auburn week. Um, but the podcast is called Dear Old State, and that's available um, wherever you get your podcasts. So whether that's Google Play, Apple, whatever it may be, um, it is there. Awesome. Yeah. So guys, when, when, when y'all listen to this, just go ahead and click over and subscribe to that. Make sure to go follow Audrey on all things social media, but I will definitely be reaching back out closer to the season. And if I find myself in Pitt, at, at Penn State this all season, I mean, this upcoming season, I will definitely reach back out. Um, it'd be awesome. I'll give you all the bar and restaurant recommendations you need. That, that works for me, but um, I appreciate it. But guys, this is a wrap. We will be back next week with some more Big Ten and 31 days. We have some big schools coming up too. Make sure to check those out. Y'all know where to find us. But for myself, for the Blue Bloods, for Audrey, we are out.